Hi everybody, Rob from the Hooked On podcast, How To Be Great here. Look, we enjoy doing what we do, for the love of it, it's wrestling, enjoy it, remember? But if you do feel like dropping us a few quid to help us out, be our guest. We don't expect it, but we will appreciate it. Thanks ever so much for your support. Don't forget, it's wrestling, enjoy it. And welcome to the Hooked On podcast, the How To Be Great podcast, where we've got another fantastic topic for you today. We're excited to be talking about it, but I seem to be on my own for the time being. It's, uh, it's just me at the moment. Where is showbiz Paul Benson? Well, he's actually rather busy this week. As, as I believe they would say, that he's, he's on assignment, is what uh, people would normally say when they're just busy off doing something else. Uh, but anyway, I'm here. Hello. Uh, it's great to be able to uh, to join you here on the podcast. And in Paul's absence, you're not just going to, don't worry, you're not just going to have me waffling on for uh, the best part of 90 minutes. Instead, our topic today is all about mystery partners and mystery opponents. So I've gone out and I've got myself a mystery partner. I am so excited to be able to say that I can bring him on. He's pretty much become the star of our uh, of our Sunday night quiz uh, on Hooked on, on the Hooked on uh, Wrestling YouTube uh, page and on the Facebook Live. Uh, and he's going to be my tag team partner for today. Let's call him up. Let's see if I can work these buttons properly that I don't normally use. Please welcome Chris Hatch. There he is. Look hey, at that. Mate, how are you doing? I'm very well. Do you know what I can even do? Look at this. Look, here's a button. Oh, there's our names. Yeah. There's, I'm, I'm learning how to do all this. I'm going to have to put my fingers on front of the uh, the pictures in, in terms of uh, doing it. But I can work the buttons. Paul normally does all this. He hogs this. You know, it's always him that's doing all of the things to do with all the technical stuff. And I just want to say, in response to what we were talking about last week, Paul, look who's driving the train. <laughs> it's a personal thing between us, but it means I get to press some buttons this week. Chris, how are you, mate? It's good to see you. Extremely good, mate. Absolute pleasure to be here as the uh, shorter, less Greg, Greg Davis looking partner for you this evening. See, I'm so glad you've said that. He does look like him, doesn't he? He really does. Yeah, I've said it for he years. Does. I say that all the time. No one ever seems to agree with me. He poo-poos it. I don't think he looks like Greg. Uh, doesn't look like Craig David. He doesn't look like. He certainly doesn't look like Greg Davis. I think he looks like he could feasibly be Greg Davis's son or nephew or something. Yes. That's what I would do if I was out with him. I'd go. By the way, this guy, he, he's Greg Davis's nephew, and I think it's plausible. I think people would look at him and go, "Oh yeah, I think he is actually." Yeah, not not in height, but he would need to grow into being Greg Davis. I get that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, well, he might be um, Paul Benson. Might be that kind of taskmaster. Um, you might be more of the uh, the Kevin Sullivan type. I don't know, but uh, it's, it's good to have you here. And um, I just want to uh, very quickly to anyone that's uh, not familiar with, you, with your work. Hopefully, people do know you from uh, at the very least our Sunday night quizzes these days, where you're the uh, the referee. Although uh, referees are meant to be off in the background and not stealing our thunder, but we are dropping you in the ship most weeks and then you outshine us. So it's, it's our fault, our hubris, as it were. Um, but uh, you do a lot around um, British wrestling. You do all sorts. So in a, in a very, very quick, sell yourself to the audience just in case they don't know you. Give us a bit of a rundown of what you uh, what you get up to. Yeah. So, I mean, to keep it as quick as possible, I've been around British wrestling for about two decades now, doing various things, reporting on shows, writing as part of 
what I do, which is how I'm initially involved with Hooked on Wrestling. Um, but I also referee shows, IMC shows. People have said I do everything other than wrestle, which is probably a good thing because I don't think anyone needs the sight of me in Lycra. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I've, I've done some amazing things with shows. I've gone abroad with wrestling. Um, and as a fan, probably since about 97, 98 was when I first got into it, went to my first show in 99 and yeah, just all moved on from there. Fantastic. Well, it's um, great to have you as part of uh, not only the Hooked On team, but also, as I said, the, uh, the, the Sunday night quizzes. And it's something I often plug quite early in this, uh, in this chat on the, on the podcast. And um, for those of you that are watching uh, on YouTube live, uh, this particular uh, broadcast or you on the YouTube channel after it's been uploaded, I should say, um, you're only a couple of clicks away from seeing the, the Sunday night quizzes. So if you've not seen them so far, they're very, very good fun. Um, they do go on a bit. It's only 20, only 20 questions and it does last about an hour and a half, but it's great entertainment, great fun. Some of are really worth joining us live. So every Sunday night, 8 p.m. Um, for that on Facebook Live and on YouTube Live. And Chris, you came on board quite early as our sort of referee figure, but it's um, it just become about the highlight of my week. I don't know about you during lockdown. It's become great fun. Yeah, I mean, that, that was the thing. What am I going to do on a Friday night during lockdown? And now it's literally taken away from me. I thought, do I want to go out now? No, I wouldn't want to go out on Sunday nights. I'm absolutely loving sitting in. I think it shows through that us three are having such good fun producing the quiz, as well as the reactions we're getting in all the comments and obviously the people who are entering. And it is, it, I won't say 50-50, but it's about entering the quiz, but it's about just having a laugh on your Sunday, Sunday evening as well. I always say I'd rather people went away saying that was great fun, but the quiz was rubbish than saying really great quiz, but quite dragged a bit. Hopefully we hit a good uh, balance of the two. And yeah, so as I say, join us on a Sunday night, eight o'clock. As um, Chris said there to begin with Friday, we started on a Friday. We moved it to Sunday because we thought it'd be a better night generally. And I think it's proven so. So uh, we'd love you to come and join us either via uh, watching the uh, the highlights later on or by watching the, uh, the, the uh, quiz live uh, where you can join in. Um, we're also building up to a couple of other things. We're quite soon going to be able to announce the full details of the uh, the Hooked on Wrestling uh, Quiz Civil War, which is going to pit my team versus Paul Benson's team very shortly. That's going to be coming up soon. And we've also got, get this, everybody, we've got some Hooked on Wrestling merchandise coming soon with WrestleMerch Central. That's going to be launching later on this week. And we might be able to give a few things away in the uh, in the quiz uh, in, a few, in the upcoming weeks because of that as well. We had a few things to give away the other week on our special Undertaker week as well. So there's, uh, there's plenty of stuff that you can be doing and getting involved with us in different ways. On to the podcast then. Uh, the reason that uh, we're here today, as I said, we're going to talk about mystery partners, mystery opponents, and that kind of thing. It's a little bit of a, uh, a hat tip to the fact that it is 24 years this week uh, since Hulk Hogan appeared as the third man at WCW Bash at the Beach. Will he make our list of five? We're going to come up with a top five list, which we're then going to pr- propose across. And then you, as the uh, the Hooked On Wrestling listeners and viewers, get to go to our website. We'll give you the address later on where you can visit to go and vote in the poll. And then whoever wins the poll becomes the uh, the winner of that particular category in How To Be Great. Last week, we discussed the best wrestler slash non-wrestler combo. Uh, it was a bit of a tricky one to uh, get across what we meant. But once we did, we were flying. We had lots of different choices. We was hard, It was quite hard work narrowing it down to a top five. But narrow it down, we did. Put a cross to a top five, we did. And then it went out to the voting. Normally, at this point, 
Paul would give us the uh, the rundown on this one. But uh, Chris is going to fill his shoes more than admirably. You have access to the uh, the figures. I don't. So I'm looking forward certainly do. to finding out the winner. I'm going to very strangely look off to my side because that's where all information must come from. Okay. In fifth place on last week's vote is Triple H in China. Then okay. joint third come Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman. And I think in a bit of a shock, Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth. Wow. Okay. That was my, that was my idea of the winner. But okay, Two carry on. Third. So second place goes to The Undertaker and Paul Bearer. Right. And what might surprise you even more is the victory is somewhat of a landslide for the Midnight Express and James E. Cornette. Well, I'm not disappointed. I mean, I think any of those five would have been worthy winners, I think. I think it was a good list. I think it was a strong list that we managed to come up with last week. Plenty of big names or good names that didn't quite make it. Um, I think I would have been happy with any of those winning. I could have made a case for them. But I think instinctively I would have gone Randy and Liz. And I think perhaps it was more that I thought that's what people would have gone with. Failing that, I thought they might have gone take a poor bearer. I'm kind of delighted that people have gone for Cornet and uh, the Midnights, really, in terms of um, I thought perhaps our, some of our listeners and viewers might not be quite old enough. To be fair, I'm not quite old enough to remember them properly. It's more going back and uh, looking at the, the network and things like that. And I've got huge amounts of time for them as an act. Um, we make no judgments on what people are like uh, these days, um, folks. That's, it's not, that doesn't come into it. It's all about the, uh, the act themselves. And I would have absolutely no, uh, no problem in them winning. I'm just surprised. I'm surprised that they've won. I'm also surprised it's a landslide. That's un- unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is, it is like you say, full respect to everything they've done. I completely understand why they'd win a vote like this. Undertaker Paul Bearer was absolutely my vote. It, on my initial thoughts, maybe it's because they weren't together for as long in their in the run. I don't know. But, yeah, I'm I'm surprised, but pleasantly surprised as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm, listen, I think, as Paul will probably tell you, that most weeks he says to me, you know, what's your pick? Who do you think is going to win? I think I've been wrong more often than I've been right in terms of not what I think should win, but in terms of what I think people will say. Um, so, yeah, very cool. Um, Jim Cornett and the Midnight Express go into our list uh, amongst our winners, our little mini Hall of Fame on the How To Be Great podcast. Right, now the job, Chris Hatch, is to decide ourselves who is going to be the, the top five for this week. The topic is mystery partners and mystery opponents. Let's get a couple of little ground rules down before we get into it properly we are not including the royal rumble match um that we can save as a as a topic for itself we'll probably do it in january around royal rumble time so i'm thinking people like you know edge and john cena and various others that are returning and aj styles of course those sorts of returns uh for that sort of thing um you know so there's obviously uh, the ones such as that that you take into account at, uh, at the, in the rumble um, and we're also not necessarily including things that are surprise returns that don't lead to a match. Just before we went on air, in fact, Chris and I were suddenly going, when Kurt Angle, David in TNA, was was that a match or was it an angle? And then we realised it was an angle. He came out, confronted Samoa Joe, etc. Fantastic moment. Brilliant. It was a surprise. It wasn't billed as a Kurt Angle. It was who's this going to be. Turned out to be Kurt. Great moment. But it didn't lead to a match. And we're talking about a mystery opponent rather than someone appearing. So it also takes out things like Jericho debuting famously in 1999 uh, and all those sorts of things, or people like uh, doing a run in at the end of a, end of a match or, or anything like that. All of those are out the window. It is all about a build surprise opponent slash partner 
and then a reveal. So that's what we're going to uh, go into. Um, Chris, you're the guest. Why don't you kick us off? Let's give. Let's have one that uh, you'd like to offer up. Doesn't necessarily mean it's one that you think should be in the top five, but one that you think is definitely worthy of discussion. Okay, one that's definitely worthy of discussion, and I would probably like to put in my top five would be for the crowd reaction purely the ultimate warrior turning up at SummerSlam 88. I think it's a great shout. I think it's an absolutely great shout. Um, for context, uh, that was, um, it was Honky Tonk Man was, if you correct me if I'm wrong with any of these details, but Honky Tonk Man was the long-term intercontinental champion. We still remember to this day him crowing, about being the greatest of all time. Some people have even bought into that. I tell you what, if we did a greatest intercontinental champion um, podcast on how to be great, and maybe we will, he probably would work his way onto the top five just because he said it so often and people have actually believed it. Um, but that was the whole thing. And it was he was meant to be wrestling. Was it was it Brutus Beefcake that he was meant to be wrestling? Is that right? Oh, yes, I believe it was. I can't remember all the details. I think it was. I think it was Beefcake, and for whatever reason, he wasn't going to be wrestling. So, yeah, it's the, the classic, isn't it? Standing in the ring is Honky Tonk Man. Bring out an opponent. I don't care who it is. And do you know what's even better for that moment is Warrior has the kind of music that that fits, doesn't he? Yeah, I'm trying to think of someone that doesn't. But the whole point of Warrior's music, all of that energy, that it just had this kind of. I don't know, visceral feel within the live auditorium when you heard that music and it was obviously the warrior. I think had it been a few other people that didn't have quite such a cool music, I'm not quite sure that would have worked so well. And the other thing with that is it wasn't just the actual music, but it was, in my mind, probably a very early use of dramatic pause because there was a long gap where Honky Tonk had done his promo, commentary even going, is, it gonna, is there going to be anyone here? And then it's just quiet crowd noise for longer and longer, almost, that is there going to be a match so that when the music did hit, the crowd just went bonkers. I mean, they, and they really did. Um, I think what we should also say with this mystery opponent, mystery partner um, chat, is it's not just about the pop when they come out. You're quite right to bring it up because it's a huge, it's an important part. But we need to discuss what then happened, what then happened in the match. Um, was it satisfying? Did it play going forward? And there'll be some people that will suggest that Honky didn't deserve to get squashed in seconds like he did. I think there's others, and I'd be included in this, that would say, I wasn't really ready for a 25-minute Ultimate Warrior back-and-forth match with the Honky Tonk Man. I think both of those would have been, let's say they were more sizzled than steak, were they not in their act. So I think the fact that Ultimate Warrior rather ran over the Honky Tonk Man on that night, I think that was probably the right booking decision. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree. And I wouldn't also say that all of the um, matches we're going to discuss tonight are brief, but I feel the involvement of a lot of the pe- of the surprises is fairly brief. So if they're in multi-mans, they're maybe not in there for long. Yes, for that match in particular, I think maybe a bit short, but it protected everything. Honky Tonk Man loses quickly. He's still shocked by the surprise mystery opponent. So I understand it. I would have liked it to have been a bit longer. Did it elevate, do what it needed to do for both of them? Maybe not, but it, it did the job of the surprise. I think it very much did the job. I think Warrior at that point is on the up in 1988. It's, people used to win the IC title before they won anything else, didn't they? That was all, there weren't, there weren't, I suppose Hogan was an exception, but a lot of people would be Intercontinental Champion to see how they got on. Certainly Savage 
falls into that category. Brett falls into that category. Sean Michaels. That was kind of it was a rite of passage, wasn't it? You won that title, and then it could it could elevate you to the to the main thing. And I think that was the warrior. So we're talking here SummerSlam '88. So I suppose it's just under two. I'm just under two years or so before he gets to WrestleMania six, I suppose, with with Hogan. So there's a there's a wee bit of time to go, but uh, he's. I think that's the first kind of plot point on the upward warrior graph, as it were. Yeah, it, it, it's the building block to get in there. It was. It, it was a good test with like the crowd reaction. How is he received when he wins a belt like the IC title? So yeah, I think that's where it really showed through. And yeah, you're not going to go IC title wrestle Hogan in two months. No, not necessarily these these days, possibly, but um, certainly certainly not in the in the late eighties. Oh, okay. I think what we'll do is what we often tend to do on this podcast when we, we'll agree on one quite early. Um, that's a that's a good choice. But it's not necessarily an absolute lock, um, so we'll put that one in as kind of like a, a bit of a gatekeeper in sort of fifth slash sixth place uh, on our list, and we'll see if we can get five that can beat it. Do you know what I mean by that? We, if if, uh, if we can't think of four or five that are better than that, then it gets on the list. But it's a good, it's a kind of good gatekeeper to see how we get on with this, um, and we'll put uh, the Ultimate Warrior versus uh, well, the Ultimate Warrior as the uh, the person, but versus uh, Hockey Talk Man from nineteen eighty eight. Um, as the suggestion on this particular occasion. I think it also goes to point out that the match afterwards needs to be satisfying in its own way, but it's not necessarily the be-all, end-all. It's more about the surprise and how it plays out. This wasn't the greatest match in the world, but neither should it have been. This was the right kind of development. Um, let me offer up one, which is a kind of similar sort of thing, but I would say didn't play out uh, in the same sort of manner. It's also a survivor, a SummerSlam one. I'm going to jump forward uh, by 12, uh, no, 22 years indeed. Um, I'm going to offer up when Daniel Bryan um, was the final partner for the, was it seven on seven? Was that what the match was? Or six on six? It was certainly a lot of people in it. I think it was seven on seven. Um, the match against Nexus. So I don't have with me the full lineup, but I remember it was, um, Cena was in there, wasn't he? And I think Jericho and Bret Hart was in that team. I think Edge was in it. It's that team, and they were minus one um, partner, and it turned out to be Daniel Bryan, the person that had been fired. Was, was he fired for real? Was he not? We don't know. really know. But he'd been fired from the Nexus on their, their amazing debut. Um, and then there was chat about him coming back pretty much all the time up until this SummerSlam moment. Um, but when he came back... I didn't, I mean, clearly, in the, in the, it's hard to believe that's 10 years ago, by the way. But in the subsequent 10 years, Daniel Bryan has had an amazing time. He'll be a Hall of Famer. He's a, he's a deserved multi-time champ. He's retired and come back out again. You know, all sorts of things have happened. But I don't recall that being a shining night. That wasn't the night where I went, bloody hell, Daniel Bryan's going to be a star for a long time to come. I, I knew his talent before that and what bore out afterwards you know, happened. But I didn't necessarily feel on that night he overly shone or was allowed to. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I, I was a fan. I remember going and seeing him in, when he was doing like the independent circuit, doing tours over here for months on end in Under the Mask and everything. Um, so, yes, his ability would be clear. That night in particular, it was, uh, to me, a bit more of an underwhelming surprise. And also then his involvement in the match. He did... A little, the commentary put it over that he's there, he's part of this team, he knows Den uh, Nexus really well. 
and then he does a bit of tech at the opening of the match, and then he stands on the apron for eight tenths of the rest of the contest. And that just felt like a bit of a he's there. Let's let's mention it. Oh no, he's not here anymore. We'll forget about him till the end of the match. And I don't think that was in a way to build that he was one of the last people in the match. I just think it was an oversight in how they could have built him into it. Yeah, I often thought that it was... Sometimes there is a disconnect sometimes between... I don't like... I hate using any sort of term that that collates the whole internet together because as if we don't have different opinions. But when people talk about internet fans or smart fans or whatever it might be that people... The term that people use... um, I do, I do agree that sometimes there's a wee bit of a bubble that we live in or some people live in and don't really understand the, the broader um, texture of things. I think Roman Reigns is a great example of that. Oh, we hate Roman Reigns. It's like, well, most people actually like him. They just happen to not be on the web message boards. Um, but uh, I think Daniel Bryan was a possibly an example of that where there was so much build to that online, so much chat, it could be Daniel Bryan. When it actually happened, as I recall, I might be wrong, I haven't watched it for a long time, but as I recall, John Cena says, my final partner's Daniel Bryan. The crowd goes, hooray. Because up until that point, Daniel Bryan was the guy that was the sidekick of The Miz on NXT. And then had spent one night on, you know, as part of the Nexus along, you know, he was just as important as Michael Tarver. And then, and then suddenly he goes away. So as far as the audience are concerned, who is this guy? If you know the American Dragon, if you know Brian Danielson, if you know your wrestling, you know this guy was legitimately one of the best in the world. And indeed, that was the chant, wasn't it? Best in the world. Long before CM Punk was doing it or Jericho was doing it, Daniel Bryan was best in the world. Um, or Brian Danielson, I should say. But I've always felt that just for whatever reason, it didn't really click. It feels like the kind of thing that should have been bigger than it was. And yeah. maybe they didn't even sell it. Even, even John Cena selling it, I kind of feel like he went, my final partner is Daniel Bryan. I'm like, sell it a bit, man. Yeah, see, I may or may not have watched this back yesterday just to make sure I'd watched uh, it properly. <laughs> That's uh, professionalism, mate. Don't apologise for it. And uh, the the strange thing with this one as well is that The Miz has said, I might or might not be your mystery partner. I'll decide on the night of the show. So then his music plays. People go, oh, it's going to be The Miz, who we all expected. Then John Cena stops him and says no, we weren't going to rely on you as the person on the night of the show to make the decision. We've taken the decision out of your hands and got the guy that you mentored in NXT. And it just felt, uh, yeah, a bit disjointed is the only way I can put it. It felt sort of a bit more forced on us rather than this natural flow of what happened. Mm. Which is ironic considering what would happen (laughs) several years later when, Two years on the trot, everyone expected him to win the Rumble and he didn't. And we ended up seeing what we did see at WrestleMania 30. But on the topic of Daniel Bryan, you said about him working over here. He certainly learned some of his chops over here. Um, I don't mean physically chops. I mean his uh, his abilities. Um, William Regal is clearly one of his biggest idols, mentors, etc. So there's, a, there's, you know, the UK, England in particular, has got a lot to... Um, uh, I was going to say a lot to answer for, but that sounds negative, but a lot to have credit for in terms of the development of Daniel Bryan. Someone you've come across at all, um, you know, working with or watching up up and close? Yeah, I mean, I, I used to go to a lot of um, all-star shows and that was his main bread and butter because they were out five nights a week, most weeks of the year. So he could come over and that he would have that as his base. Um, the first time... That's, I, the, that's the Butlins sort of thing, the Dixon Butlins yeah, shows, yeah? Butlins, but they also yeah. used to run hall shows. My first show was... Yeah. 
sort of an all-star joint show um, at Southampton Guildhall, so venues right. like that. Um, but the first time I, I ref Daniel Bryan once. Okay. It was him and Doug Williams, so as you can imagine, great match. Oh, uh, man alive, what a great match that is to be ref- refereeing. The problem for me is that at the time I hadn't been keeping up on my Ring of Honour where he'd started, being, he'd started doing the I've got till five referee. Right. So he turns around to me, shouts I've got till five referee. The crowd all cheer and it takes me coming out afterwards and people going, he just did that to you. And I'm like, what's that? So, and then I looked it up and then I got what he was doing. So, and, and that was a lesson for me to, I, you don't always know what matches you're going to referee on a show. So, mm. um, for example, I refereed Tracy Smothers in an eight-man tag on that show. But I turned up 10 minutes before and didn't know I was refereeing that match. So, Whereabouts was that? That was in Ware in Hertfordshire. <laughs> so we nearly turned into an Abbott and Costello routine. Yeah, it was that, in Ware. That, that yes, might be why I made the point of saying Hertfordshire before you yeah, got yeah. jumped. But, um, yeah. but, who I mean, was on, but who was on first? Well, this is the only problem. <laughs> <laughs> This was bad enough on Sunday with the jokes. I don't need more of them on my uh, on my. No, I'm, no, far be it from me to uh, recycle jokes from the 1950s, but uh, you know I'll try where I can. Um, okay, so I don't think Daniel Bryan really gets in there. So um, let's. Um, I tell you what we should do. Let's let's address it right at the top. This is the reason why we're here. It's the reason why we're having this particular chat on this particular week. It's Hogan. It's the third man. It's Bash at the Beach, WCW, 1996. And you can basically put all of your graphs onto this point. If this doesn't happen, does what happens over the next three, four, five years in the Monday Night War, does it all go off the way it goes off? We can talk about the actual portrayal in just a minute about how it actually happened. But in terms of being something that had such magnitude across the wrestling world, we would be remiss not to chat about this, wouldn't we? Absolutely. Um, it is the cornerstone of what happened. I, I personally do think they still would have got there. They still would have got to where they got over the next couple of years, but it would have taken a lot more time. This is a boom. There's the impact. It it was absolutely superb. I think in terms of the booking of the NWO, this will be another topic for another day to go deep into the NWO, but I think it had to be someone big um, and someone credible. There's often chat that it could have been Sting um, that could have turned on WCW, possibly. It could have been Savage. You know, someone else would have been in the match and Savage came out later and he turned and whatever. Um, all those things are plausible, but I think it had to be someone on the the the, 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 the the big name of someone like Hogan or a different debuter, had they managed to get, you know, Bret Hart or whatever. I think it had to be someone huge. It had to be someone of a massive magnitude. I'm not for a second saying this was a comparable angle, but I always felt one of the better things during the Hogan Bischoff era in TNA that they did was the aces and eights thing. Um, I rather enjoyed the aces and eights angle such as it was for a long time. But, and I'm not necessarily putting the boot into any of these individuals. They might be nice people. They might be good wrestlers. They might have gone on to other things. But when they started revealing the gang members and it was Garrett Bischoff and Wes Briscoe and Mike Knox, known as Knox, and Doc Gallows and even D'Lo Brown, who's well-respected but had been retired by then, you know, 
with the exception of Bully Ray, it was let down after let down after let down in that group. Even when they did the whole Ken Anderson thing, I don't think it really worked. I love that angle in TNA, but the reveals were letdowns. The fact is that in everything they did with the um, the NWO, the hits just kept on coming, at least for the first three or four. The fact that it was Nat Hall, then Nash, then Hogan, and even to an extent, you know, DBRC and, um, you know, X-Pac and, you know, Sean Morton. They just seemed to hit the heights, didn't they, for that, that short amount of time at the start. And I just feel that you're right. I think it would have been a substantial angle. I think it still would have done a lot. But I think had it not been Hogan, I, I struggle to see who else they could have possibly have made that, you know, resonance across the wrestling world at that point. Yeah, I, I would agree in that sense. Um, I think that no, you couldn't have sent another good guy out there to get that reaction. The, the, the Whose side is he on? You couldn't have sent another good guy out on that night. Another night, building to what they built, maybe they could do something. But on that particular night, Hogan was the only level of good guy to make that complete 180 that made it make sense. And I, and I think the fact that these days we start to read into things, and so they start to become double, triple, quadruple, quiffle? <laughs> double, triple, quadruple bluffs. That's easy for me to say. Um, as we start to read into it. But this is, if you take out, strip out any sort of knowledge of the inner workings of wrestling, this, the only equivalent really of Hogan turning on WCW at that point really would be John Cena turning on WWE, wouldn't it? If there was some big match and Cena turned up and it was Cena that, I suppose you could argue that when Austin turned on WWF in the whole invasion thing, but you know that was a bit of a disaster. Um, so it's hard to replicate what they did with Hogan and, you just mentioned there, didn't you, the, 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 the point of Bobby Heenan on commentary did say, but whose side is he on? Now, that's a much discussed piece, um, you know, much discussed, much discussed uh, phrase. And indeed, there is a piece on the Hooked on Wrestling website at the moment, which came up this week, in which you can read all about that. I'm not, so I'm not going to steal the thunder. If you want to go and read that, it is up there. There's plenty of chat about um, that specific moment and indeed that specific turn of phrase. Um, but... I think that was partially because I don't think Heenan had been clued in. I don't think anyone had been clued in that Hogan was the third man and was going to turn that way. Um, but it was the plausibility, wasn't it? You just said about there being a pop in the audience. I don't think that live crowd went, here comes Hogan, he's going to turn. Because we weren't used to those sorts of turns in 1996. It was the perfect moment with the perfect person, was it not? Yeah, and certainly not from Hogan and certainly not when um, your face team was a member down anyway. So everyone just, you had the instant assumption, he's going to go and join um, Sting. That's the way you would think it through. And you wouldn't be used to, hang on, what does he do? Whether the actual leg drop had the impact when he did it, I'm not sure. But the overall effect as it went on was the main part of it. It surely was. And indeed, um, the follow-up, you know, with Mean Gene, you know, not being able to believe what he could see and Hogan starting to turn on the fans. And, you know, I, I think there's so much more than just, he didn't just drop a leg and walk off, did he? They they doubled down really quickly on this is the new world order. And I forget how much happened on the night and how much happened on the Nitro following or the Nitro the week after. But um, I certainly can recall Hogan saying this, you know, all these pieces of garbage, you know, may as well be the equivalent of the pieces of garbage in the stands. And, you know, you know, this is the new world order. I was bored. And, you know, these people turned on me. 
you just never thought you'd see Hulk Hogan saying these things. He was the ultimate baby face forever. Although, right enough, that's the narrative. There's actually about, if you go back about 14 months before Bass at the Beach, there was a time where Hogan started wearing black and started being a little bit tweenery. And then he uh, went back to the red and yellow when it wasn't really working. So they did actually trial it just before. Um, and it didn't really work. But in this context, it was absolutely perfect. I think we can put this into our five, can't we, Chris? I think I, I can't see five things beating this, can you? Yeah, I think that's a banker. There's, it's going to be near the top of the list, if not the top for a lot of people. I don't see any way it can be left out. No, I think it'll, I think it'll be a very big chance of, uh, of winning next week. Um, OK, back to you. Let's put the ball back firmly into your court. Let's have another one from the mind of Hatch. OK, so personal one here that I think could be on the levels of Warrior being like the benchmark, but I'd hope would be in there, is Yokozuna, WrestleMania 11. OK, um, um, I, think that's a, I think that's very much a classic of the genre in terms of perhaps it's an age where a lot of us um, whisper our ages quietly. I never would pursue anyone to say how old they are, but I'm... I'm 36, so that's WrestleMania, what, 11, did you say? Yeah. So that, yeah, so I'm 11 years old around then. So that's a, it's absolutely formative for me. To me, that's the kind of thing that I remember very distinctly. Um, the match was billed as a mystery partner. Who's it going to be? I'm not sitting on the internet having it spoiled for me. I'm waiting to see, you know, I even think little, little things about that build. I can remember King, you know, Jerry Lawler on commentary saying, I know who it is, but I'm not going to tell you and all this kind of thing. And then when Owen goes, he's beat my brother, brother Brett, Yoko Zuna. And even Lawler on commentary goes, yes. And it's, it's a great moment. It's, a, it's perfectly done. It's the kind of person I don't think was necessarily expected. But once he comes out, you go, that is exactly what Owen Hart would do. If you go into, again, using kayfabe, Owen Hart was a nasty, sniveling, horrible heel that couldn't fend for himself, was jealous that his brother was better than him. So he had to try and take little sneaky tricks and whatever. And that's exactly the kind of thing that he would do. He would get someone bigger than him and better than him to help him win something. And it it worked. I just think it's it's a textbook example of how to do it. Yeah. And the fact that Yokozuna at this point was towards the end of his career, but could still come in and do an awful lot and get an awfully big reaction from a crowd. Um, the thing I found strange with it is a lot of these ones, the last person to enter the ring is your mystery person. Here, Owen comes out before the Smoking Guns come out and brings Yokozuna to the ring, and they actually interview Smoking Guns. That's right, yeah. Which just seems a very strange way around of doing it, but seemed to work really well on that occasion. That's a good point. I'd never really thought about that. But yeah, you're right, because I can now picture them being interviewed backstage before they came out. And Vince saying, you know, what do you think? And they went, oh, well, we came up with a lot of people, but we didn't think about Yokozuna. And that's a good point. I've not really thought about that. That's a, that's a sort of interesting... I don't know how to, to sort of take it, but it's, it's certainly an interesting differential. I don't feel that they do that now. Um, in terms of Yoko's career, I'm just trying to work back. So... Would would it have been the last time we'd seen him before that? Was losing to Taker at the previous year's Summer uh, Survivor Series? Would that like be the last time we saw him? There was definitely a long gap between when we'd seen him, and I don't think he was around for particularly long after that either. No, I'm, I'm just trying to go back. So that's the '94 Survivor Series, isn't it? The whole Chuck Norris thing. 
Yeah. Um, loses to Taker. He's certainly not at the 95 Rumble. So, yeah, so this is obviously the comeback after being out since November. So he's been out for about six months. So I think that's also something to factor in with the whole mystery partner is that if someone wrestles, you know, a 22-minute match on Raw on Monday night and then there's the mystery partner on uh, the following week SmackDown or there is on the, on the following pay-per-view, it doesn't feel quite the same, does it? But the fact that someone's been away for a wee while and then comes back, whether they were with another company, whether they were having a, um, a sabbatical, I assume this is around the time when they were sending... Yoko away to try and get slim and it didn't work. But the other thing that's quite smart about it is if you've, they've kind of done all they could with Yoko in terms of being a main eventer, hadn't they? They'd done the thing with Brett. They'd done the thing with Hogan. They'd done the thing with Taker in terms of one-on-one main events. There's only so much you can get out. of. I'm sorry to say this folks. This is not me being horrible, but out of a big fat guy, there's only so much you can get out of him. So to put him in a team, to lessen the, the amount of work that he has to do, but try and create, keep his impact. Smart move. Yeah. I mean, in that match, he still, he still did enough. That's the whole point of someone that size coming in and doing a few things, taking a bump occasionally to make it mean something. Um, the story I'll say with me is m- my first show I ever went to live was um, a show at Southampton Guildhall. And I went because Yoko Zuna was on the card. And okay. That it was the first time I'd seen a WWE star advertised to come to a venue round the corner from me, and the unfortunately the lasting memory for me of that was everyone else at the meet and greet had one seat, he had two, one for each arse chin. So, <laughs> but it shows the reach he had as well that he could come over on tour. I think that was ninety eight or ninety nine, um, and he could come on tour over here, and he still. It was a similar sort of match. He was in a tag and he did enough that he was protected, but he could still do the things people would want someone of that size to, say, to, to do, to be able to see it live. Yeah, and I think, I wouldn't say he's necessarily underrated because I think people do respect what he could do, but it's certainly easy to forget that you know, someone of a, you know, listen, I'm a, I'm a bit on the old chunky side here, but I'm, uh, you know, not, I'm not anywhere in, in the Yokozuna bracket. And the things that he could do with his body and chuck himself around, because you'll know this better than me, having been in the ring with people having matches, you're the ref, you've got to get out, the, be, be involved, but get out the way and do those kind of things. It's, I'm only, uh, I've only learned these things second, third, fourth hand, but the whole point a lot of the time is if you're a heel, is you have to feed a comeback, don't you? You have to be in the position where the baby face is, is, is blowing a comeback and is, tends to be gets up, knocks you down. You get up, he knocks you down again. And Yoko could do that at 500-odd pounds. Could take a bump, roll over, get up, take another bump, roll. Like, okay, you don't want him doing that all the time because it, obviously that, that takes away the point of his, you know, his size. But he was able to take bumps and feed and do the right sort of things that heels have to do. And that that's that shouldn't be sniffed at. That's an important part of, of being that kind of figure, isn't it? Yeah, he he could make them. He could do take those bumps when he needed to. He could pop back up when he needed to. But he made sure it all had meaning. One of the yeah. bit, in my mind, one of the best things a bad guy can do is how quick after they've taken one shot can they be there again? Mm. Because they've the majority of a match they've probably been beaten down on the good guy. So they, they've had their bit where they're on top, they're looking good. It's But that doesn't matter as much as how much they can then help the good guy at the end. Yeah, I mean, that's a, 
a topic we could go into a bit deeper on another day. There's certainly a few people over the years where I've seen that have had good characters as a heel, but their working style in the ring doesn't necessarily fit. I always felt that Yoko did a brilliant job of, of fulfilling exactly what that monster heel should be. Um, in terms of what what we're talking about, the, the surprise entrant, I think he's, like I said, it's almost, it's almost textbook. It's the one that we might say is the most by the book, advertised on TV, advertised on those sort of live event centre things or like, you know, the pay-per-view pop-ups in the, uh, the shows that people like Mean Gene or Sean Mooney would do, build up to the show. And as what tends to happen, I don't know if we'll do a proper count on this, but the mystery partner opponent usually wins, don't they? It normally makes sense if they come back and they win. I'm not sure how many of these examples we're going to have where they don't actually win the match. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the majority do. And if they don't, it's to protect them for something else. Yeah, it is. Right. OK, so I think that's going to I'm going to certainly going to put that next to um, Warrior on my list as a very probable top five. But then we've already got three good ones and there's a few good ones to come. So while we're just on the subject of Yokozuna, I did just note down and I don't think this would really count. But in terms of a mystery opponent, we didn't necessarily say it had to be. Uh, an, an actual credible regulation match. What about Lex Luger stepping off the helicopter on the USF, USS Intrepid and slamming Yokozuna? Is Lex Luger a mystery opponent? I mean, yeah, it wasn't a full match. It was a body slam challenge, but it's still... Oh, it's 50-50. It <laughs> really is 50-50. I'd be leading against it, but you brought it up for a reason. No, I think I'd be. I think even to be fair, I think even if we included it, I think we'd be able to come up with enough that are, are better. Because um, ultimately, where did that really lead? Yeah, it led Great. to the Lex Great. Express, Great. which is it led to the Lex Express, which is mocked, and it led to the SummerSlam match, which was, you know, a bit ludicrous in terms of the celebration of Lex winning but not actually winning the belt. And I feel sorry for Lex because he's kind of branded this kind of the the nearly guy. Um, but uh, I, I said it more for more for cheek than I did for for meaning it. But uh, uh, yeah, if we were I, doing a top ten, I might sneak it in. Yeah, I, th- I think when you say the nearly guy, I think it nearly is uh, a bit too close for what you get to the top five of this list. Yeah, I think so. So, well, uh, let me just note that one off. I have one other thing on here, which is um, that falls into a similar sort of category, as in, does it really count? Um, is if I, I'll talk about the whole the thing as a whole, because uh, there might be a couple of other things that we bring into it. Um, the John Cena US title open challenge, I think is one of the best things that John Cena's ever done. Um, I think it led, lent credibility to that belt. I think it was the first... I think there were lots of people that understood wrestling who by this point knew that John Cena was really good in the ring, but there were still some unbelievers I think this series of matches every single week, it was the highlight of Raw every week. And, you know, it showed Cena is a great wrestler. I don't care what anyone says. John Cena is a great wrestler. Um, He might need a good dance partner sometimes, but he's still a great wrestler. Um, And I absolutely adored that US Open Challenge. Now, I want to throw, I've got something in my mind, but I'm not going to spunk it yet. I want to go to you. When I say about the US Open Challenge, who do you think of? Who would be some of the names that you would offer to me? Because I know that I had one in my mind and actually I've fallen a bit short because I've double-checked it. But I want to see what you say. You have caught me on an absolute blank on this one, mate. You've caught me on a blank. 
Okay, well, I'll, I'll I'll tell you what I can remember then. So the first person that I came to was was Kevin Owens. Well, I remember to me the best thing out of, that came out of the U.S. Open Challenge was Kevin Owens. I thought the matches that Owens and Cena had they had two or three. They went back and forth. I thought that they made Kevin Owens absolutely out of the gate with that. However, when I went and double double checked. Owens does answer the US Open Challenge, but it doesn't lead to a match. They have a bit of a fight, but it's not a match. And that they go on later to have matches and they're excellent, but it's not an actual match at the point of the mist. Because obviously every week it was a mystery. Um, so what I'm saying, I do also remember a fabulous match with Sami Zayn, a fabulous match with um, um, Antonio Cesaro. I absolutely adored the Cena US Open Challenge, but I'm not sure I can distill it down to one particular thing. I came into this thinking Cena versus Kevin Owens would might make my list, but I don't think I can use it, can I? If it's not a real match, yeah, it's it's more of to me, it's more of a genre of matches than one than specific matches. And if that one wasn't a match that night, then however much again, Kevin Owens, huge fan, but. I just don't think it can get in there. Okay, we'll leave it at that. We don't need to um, belabor the point, but I will say I absolutely adored that uh, uh, that whole thing. And then there's a couple of things we can take these back in a couple of steps here. Okay, so let's go. Let's stay with Cena, and we'll de- we'll talk about his debut. He was a mystery opponent. It was a Kurt Angle Open Challenge, and John Cena answered that challenge. You might remember the whole "What do you offer? I offer ruthless aggression." You know, Vince has just been talking about that. And Cena was a made man almost from the start, wrestling Kurt Angle. Um, you know, in, I think Kurt beat him, didn't he? But, you know, but Cena was believable. I think there was a backstage segment where even Undertaker sort of patted him on the back. They made Cena from day one. And he was a mystery opponent. He wasn't anyone anyone knew. He walked out on the stage and people went, who's that guy? But they made him from day one with the mystery opponent thing. And so I put it to you that he could be that particular match could be worth discussion because they made their biggest star for the next 20 years. It's certainly worth discussion. They certainly made such a huge start on it began on that night. I'm certainly not going to say that match made him. And I reckon it's, it's always a 50, 50 thing. Angle really helped make him in that match. He had to help make him in that match. Because Without a doubt. To walk out on TV in a match like that, you need someone experienced in there. And I think the, that match probably helped elevate Angle as well because it yeah. showed good work with someone a bit fresher, a bit newer to the business. Um, it's yeah, I'll I'll give you that. I reckon that could go in there. Okay, I want to keep on moving backwards. Let's go another step back again with someone. So we've seen Owens or whoever you know debut against Cena. We've seen Cena debut against Angle. What about someone? Um, else that debuted against Kurt Angle. Royal Rumble 2000. Kurt Angle's not been around for very long at this point, but he's still undefeated, and we're getting the whole, it's going to be a mystery opponent. I think this one has sneaked out, because if you listen to the Madison Square Garden crowd, they're chanting, we want you-know-who, before he actually appears. But Kurt Angle says, come on, bring it out, see what you've got. And we hear, dum, 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 dum. And it's Taz and the place comes absolutely unglued. This is one of my examples of whatever may have happened down the line, happened down the line. But Taz's debut at the Royal Rumble 2000 is mustard. 
Yeah, um, not ashamed to admit I had the orange Taz shirt back in the day. <laughs> and not ashamed to admit that I watched it back and there are bits of the whole segment that I absolutely hated. But at oh, the okay. time, it absolutely made it. I was closet ECW fan, but not of necessarily all the extreme sort of things. I was a fan of what Taz could do. I was a fan of the fact that Taz could wrestle in that environment as well. When he came in, the match, I'm not discrediting the match, the match was great, albeit another short one. Um, now I watch it back, not so much, but at the time, absolutely amazing. Elaborate on that. I'm really fascinated. To, I want to know what you've uh, what you've got on that. So what was it that you didn't like? What, what stands out to you now? So what I didn't like is I didn't like that it was so much of a squash. I know I, I, something I said earlier is it makes sense because it was a surprise. He caught Angle off guard. But it just felt a little too overboard, especially to the point of Angle being carried out at the end. I just watched that back now and it was a so what was the logic in that? Was there a need for that to would he if he'd have lost that match and that was it, and Angle eventually walked out off camera or whatever, would that have made a difference? Did he need to be stretched out like that? And it, it struck a little nerve with me. Well I'll give you a um I'll give you a devil's advocate response to that. Perhaps I think they were trying to get over the Taz mission because late what later happened was Kurt would say it was a choke and he petitioned and I think technically, officially, if you if you go into a kayfabe world that Kurt Kurt actually wins that match on DQ by decision two weeks later because he was able to convince someone that, that it was an illegal choke. So you could argue that's why for that. I'm not saying you're wrong, I'm just giving you an answer. Yeah, I, I get that there was a story to build from it. I completely understand why they went there. I just think they could have done all of that with him just the last camera shot is him laid out. Did we need a stretcher? Did we need all that side of things? That was I, I don't know why, but it, when I watched it back, it irked me. But the actual match, the suplexes and everything, it just sold Taz to me even more. I was a fan, but it absolutely sold him. I think it's a, I think it's a great job. I, I really enjoyed it. I think uh, again, whatever they did with Taz moving forward, you know, didn't really come off. Um, whether Vince lost his nerve because he was a bit um, because Taz was a bit shorter, or whether or not it was because things he did or things he said, I have no idea why were they cool on Taz. But in terms of a hot out of the gate start in the perfect place, you know, if that had happened in, you know, I don't know. I can't think of a good example, but if that had happened in, let's say, Los Angeles, would he have got the same reaction as he did in, in you know, Madison Square Garden, New York? Um, I think that was important hot out of the gate. But again, I think it's one of those. I would put this. I would kind of put this alongside the Yokozuna one for me as being a real into the pay per view as build as a mystery opponent. Someone came out. They were. They got the reaction. They won. Obviously, obviously, there's a difference between a babyface mystery opponent and a heel mystery opponent. But in terms of the the reaction on whatever level, and um, both of them kind of worked and 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 um, pushed through. Um, I will offer one more. Sorry, go on. Go on I think you're going to say something. two other points I'd make with that match. One is it was I believe either the opening match or very early on in the card. I think which, it was the first match. Yeah, which a lot of these that's later on in the show you have the mystery to you have a load of matches so that then the suspense maintains around the mystery did that make a difference to it and also did it make a difference being in madison square garden where you are the camera is facing straight on 
Does that did that make a difference? You could see him walking towards the ring, walking towards Angle. Very possibly. Sidebar for that. I always love that. How did you feel about that? I loved Madison Square Garden shows. I even remember being disappointed when it was Madison Square Garden for WrestleMania 20 and they didn't have the walkway in front. They had it off to the side, didn't they? Or maybe they, perhaps they switched the camera around, but I don't think they did. I think they just built a different walkway. I used yeah. to love that, that um, particularly for Royal Rumbles, when someone new would come out directly towards you. Um, I loved that Madison Square Garden walkway. I, I, I don't know why. Yeah, there's, there's no logical explanation why it should have more impact because camera you're watching on TV through a camera. The camera's a camera. It's always in the same place. But being able to see it straight on just made such a huge difference. And you're right, the disappointment when it, you knew it was Madison Square Garden and you went, hang on, why is the camera not there? <laughs> it's over there. Yeah, <laughs> it just felt wrong somehow. It shouldn't be a major difference to how you enjoy a wrestling show. But it is. Yeah, just little tiny things like WrestleMania 10, for example. You know, when the baby faces come out to celebrate with Brett at the end, and you can see them all coming down the the aisleway, or when the Rock comes out to help Foley at, 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 uh, later on in that Royal Rumble 2000. I just there's just little things about it that uh, I've always liked. Anyway, we're not doing how to be great at walkways, and um, we're doing how to be great at uh, mystery opponents. And actually, it's not the only Taz one on record. Um. Taz was a mystery opponent in the, one of the most strange matches ever, I think, that's ever been happened, was the, where, as a WWF wrestler, Taz wrestled a WCW wrestler, Mike Awesome, for the ECW title. Now, I'm not necessarily saying this gets on the list because ECW, sorry, ECW fans, but it's a small promotion in terms of, you know, how we're balancing WWE, WCW, and even you know, TNA and AEW and New Japan and whatever. But I always think it's a mad story that a WWF versus WCW match happened during the wars and it happened in an ECW ring. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely mental that a match like that could could happen. I personally, I think it's great that it could happen. It's great that it helps that company out. It helps. It, it doesn't hurt anyone doing something like that. It makes people talk. In terms of whether it makes the list, it's just it's just not quite elevated enough. It's not in the limelight enough. It doesn't strike a chord like a Hogan, like a Yokozuna. I think you're right, and I think I think if we were allowed to, you know, couple some of these uh, these things, then <laughs> niche reference. But those of you that are familiar with the the French horse racing betting markets, they tend to couple horses that are in the same ownership. I feel like I want to say, well. Taz versus Angle might not make it, and Taz versus Awesome might not make it. But if we couple the two Tazes, then it's uh, it's important enough. I don't think we can do that. But uh, he, Taz may just about end up getting sort of sixth and seventh place on this list rather than being in the top five. But we'll see um, when we come back to it. Um, but I, I still think that's a, an extraordinary tale. If you don't know what we're talking about, by the way, um, um, it's mentioned on, at the very least, it's mentioned on the um, Rise and Fall of ECW um, documentary, which is, you know, a stunning piece of work, which I think is still on the WWE Network. If not, go and Google it, because basically Mike Awesome was ECW champion, jumped to WCW with the belt, and they managed to have him drop it to Taz, of all people who had already got the WWE. And I think Taz, didn't Taz have the ECW championship and oh. wrestled Triple H on SmackDown? <laughs> a bizarre situation. I, no, the belt was definitely on TV, which 
again, like you said, completely bizarre that they let it happen, but what's the harm in doing it? it it's a belt at the end of the day. It looks cool. And then I, I seem to remember that match included, you know, Tommy Dreamer trying to interfere somewhere along the line and not quite get it right. Anyway, that's way back in 2000. I mean, you'd never see Tommy Dreamer involved in a world title match these days, would you? Well, no. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, well Slammiversary is coming up soon. Anyway, moving on. The real moving on. championship. I, I'm really horrible about um, Tommy Dreamer. Have you have you worked with Tommy Dreamer, Chris? I have indeed. Um, I... What's he like? Because I'll tell you my side of things. Right, I've always felt I've I've never I've never particularly rated him. I've always felt that he's a bit unathletic, a bit of an unconvincing promo. Seems to have stayed past his welcome. Blah blah blah. But I've never met anyone in wrestling that doesn't say he's not a lovely fella. And I feel so guilty for some of my little jabs at Dreamer over the years because everyone I hear says what a nice bloke he is. And so you should feel guilty. He was the <laughs> person to be around. Um, he was over for a weekend. He did Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday of shows. I did three of them with him. I think I was announcing them. But I also ended up picking up him up from the airport on the Friday because who else is available last minute? Someone's dropped out. Off I go. And <laughs> then on... Over that weekend, he referred to me as the, the kimchi to his Kamala. Oh, brilliant. Because I was his handler. I would, I, and then when he went off with someone else to the next show, I, I would hand him off to someone else. But, yeah, he was a lovely guy. It, all, it, he was very keen to go back to the venue and sleep on the first night. But when he was out there on the ball the whole time, really, really good. Yeah, it does feel make me feel even worse. Although... I will say that those of you that have uh, been around since the old days of my first ever podcast, which was the, the one-sided ring, I still think that my cover version, Don't Cry For Me, Tommy Dreamer, is one of the best things I've ever done in my life. Um, anyway, let's, uh, let's move on. So what have we got left? I've got, a few, I've got quite a few things left. Let's, try and, let's whiz through a couple that I think that might not uh, necessarily um, make it. One of the ones that, in my mind, was quite a big deal but I've done a bit of research for this and put in, you know, best returns and gauged the opinion of some people and actually found it was very underwhelming to people. Do you recall the mystery opponent at 1996 Survivor Series? That's a show that's more memorable for Brett versus Steve Austin for the first time, for um, Paul Bearer in the Shark Cage, for the debut of Rocky Maivia. Um, but also there was a mystery opponent, on, mystery partner on one of those Survivor Series matches and I still remember in my own, you know, bedroom or wherever it was, popping to hear the music go, super, super, super fly. I thought that was a fabulous moment. In researching this, I found that people went, that was a pretty underwhelming moment. I loved it. What did you think? Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I loved it. I didn't necessarily think it was exactly what they could have done or maybe how far it had been built, built up, but... It's it's a great music. Again, it's another of those musics like Warriors. Yeah, it probably helps. Yeah, yeah. one of those moments. Um, yeah, again, I just don't know if it fits the bill quite. No, I don't think it, it doesn't. It, it it absolutely doesn't. But you're right. It's it's one of those moments. I Snooker did a seven on seven tag on a show over here that I was watching one time, um, and okay. all. The, all anyone was interested on the opposing team was, would they get hit with the coconut? <laughs> so, um, yeah. But again, it, it's just, again, it's the music. It's the aura of 
who he is, not necessarily the fact that he was the mystery partner that was special. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't think it makes the list. I, what I will say is one of those ones that if you place an almost word association, and was that, and you and you said Rob, the first five that come to your mind, mystery opponents go. I think I'd have put him in the first five I thought of, probably because again I'm twelve at this point, and it's a, uh, you know, it's formative, and you remember those things better than I don't remember things. For those of you that ever come to the quiz on a Sunday night, Chris will, uh, you know, will vouch for this. I get asked questions by Paul Benson on on a Sunday night, and I don't know what he's talking about. And he's talking about shows that happened two years ago, and then he comes up with something about 1992, and I can tell him everything. I can tell him what the announcers said, what the sign in the crowd said, how long the match was. It's ludicrous the things that you can remember about different years. Um, so anyway, I, let's uh, let's just delete that one across. I want to bring up one other one, and this is one I hated, right? But it was no doubt a mystery partner. And it's it's remembered by some. And I again, doing my research, I read this as someone saying, what a good swerve. And for those listening on the podcast that can't see the video, yes, I did the inverted commas. Um, Do you remember a match that was billed as Hardcore Holly and Cody Rhodes versus Ted DiBiase and a mystery partner? And the mystery partner turned out to be Cody Rhodes, who somehow turned on his partner, Hardcore Holly, during the match, allowed Ted DiBiase to get the win. That was the start of their tag team, which then became part of a legacy with Randy Orton. And that's where we went off to the races. I despised that match because I still believe in getting all the little tiny things right. And things such as, I tell you, what, I'll, I'll go right the way back. Building into WrestleMania 9, the first ever. Uh, contract signing I ever saw. I now know that they happen all the time and they always seem to happen with someone going through a table. But the first ever contract signing I saw was Yokozuna and Bret Hart before WrestleMania 9. And what's this for? We have to sit in a ring. We have to sign a contract. We have to sign a contract to say that we're going to have a a title match. Why then was Hulk Hogan allowed to have a title match straight after another match and that no one signed a contract there and that was still allowed to happen? Again, see, my nine-year-old brain thinking better than anyone else that was booking the show but so little things like that do care do matter to me so to me if you have to sign a contract for every match who who signed the contract for hardcore holly and cody rhodes versus cody rhodes and ted dibiase it doesn't make any sense and i don't like little things like that but uh, i wanted to just mention that because I, I figured that we want to try and cover every match that people will remember that's not getting on. An, that's not getting any top five on my watch. <laughs> I don't know where you stand on that one. Am I being too harsh? I'm probably not as offended by it as you are. But one of my favourite phrases, and this is nothing against anyone who's ever stepped in a ring. I know the effort they have to put in, but on the logic sense, wrestling isn't difficult. People make it difficult by doing weird things like, like you say, having contract signings and then having matches that don't revolve around a contract being signed. So I do get your point. I'm not as offended by that match potentially as you are, but the logic of someone turning within a match is always a bit iffy to get it absolutely right. I think they did a good job in that one, but it's still questionable and it still doesn't make the list. I think as far as that particular individual goes... Um, I think I've never quite understood the um, 
not understand. That's not the right phrase. I've never quite been on board with the zeitgeist that everyone else has. You know, the Cody that exists these days and is, you know, the top man in his company, whatever. I preferred dashing Cody Rhodes and I preferred Stardust and I'm not afraid to say it. That's just my opinion. That's just the way I am built. Perhaps I'm too much of a WWE apologist, but I kind of liked those characters. Yeah, I, Stardust I was a huge fan of. I believe he used to, he doesn't do it now because of who he is and where he is and the position he's got. But he was, without wanting to be Stardust, he would acknowledge it in quite a few matches. And I think that shows that he knew it had hit a chord with people. So he had to reference it. But obviously he knows what he wanted to become and it is what he's able to do in AEW. I can tell just by looking at Chris that he thinks that I'm trying to engineer the same joke I did on Sunday about Cody and his surname and a reference to Back to the Future. I'm not going to do it. Thank you very much. I really want to. I really do want to, but I'm not going to do it. Um, right. I've got four left on my list. Okay? okay. I think these are four that are important to talk about. And the first couple, especially, are ones that involve the reaction. You talked about it, about Warrior in particular. Um, sometimes you're not going to get that reaction because it's a heel. It's the Yokozuna. Sometimes, excuse me, sometimes you're not going to get that reaction because it's someone new. See the John Cena debut. But sometimes you get the most monstrous reaction, and that's really all that matters. You don't remember the match. You don't remember the outcome. You just remember the reaction. I'll start with the secondary one of the two that I'm going to mention first up. But it was still a huge reaction, and people might not believe that now because how things have changed and whatever. But I am going to say, I can't remember where it was. I wish I remembered where it was. I feel like it was, I feel like it was one of those arenas that the WWE does to a a good degree, like the, like the Target Center or the Barclays Center or um, what's the one in? Oh, yeah, what what what's the, I can't think, but one of the Staples Center, one of those sort of big arenas that they run from time to time. I think it was one of those. Battleground, twenty sixteen. Sasha Banks is wrestling Charlotte Flair and I think Dana Brooke, and she brings out her mystery partner, and it's Bailey. And this is Bailey's debut on the main roster. And that crowd went mad. It is as big a reaction. I'm not being sexist on things. I'm often aware of the fact that we don't include a lot of female things on some of these um, polls. Unfortunately, it's the way that wrestling has been billed over the last 40, 50 years. That un- only over the last few years have the ladies been able to take their rightful place in, in some, having some of these big time matches. And it's why I want to bring this one up because the reaction that Bailey got for coming out and being Sasha's partner on that particular night was monstrous. I will admit to you, I don't remember the outcome of the match. I remember almost nothing about the match. I don't even think Bailey was around full time until another couple of months later when she was officially made a roster member. But that was her moment when she'd had a great run on NXT and she stepped up here. Do you recall the, the, the event I'm talking about? What, how, what are your feelings about her as a wrestler? Yeah. Uh, over to you on that. I remember, the, I know the event you're talking about. I remember it. You are absolutely right on the crowd reaction. And it's, it's one that would be up there for me to put to think about putting in the list purely based on that. It's also in the era when, although NXT was big, it wasn't, it was becoming its own entity, but maybe not quite there. So it did feel like a bigger jump to go from NXT to main roster. Whereas almost now you could almost see a bit of swapping backwards and forwards. 
this was a big one to see someone like Bailey suddenly be put on a full a full pay per view as a debut. You're not an NXT star anymore. You're a WWE roster member, and I and it, it's also the fact they could generate the knowledge of who she was within the company before her even debuting on a main show, if that makes sense. No, it does, and I, I'm I'm fascinated by the Bailey story. I you know I. I think it's an article to be written one day about the, you know, the, how the, the Bailey story is really, really unique. Um, I would go to as far as to say, you know, when they talk about the four horse women of NXT and they mean Charlotte, Sasha, Bailey and Becky, don't they essentially as being the, the, the cornerstones, the pillars of, of NXT. I think all of them are good, right? I'm not saying any of them is not good, but I think there's an argument to say that Bailey is the weakest of the four in the ring. Again, she's good. So it's a, it, It's not that she's bad, it's she's good. But I would put the other three probably ahead of her as being better wrestlers. But certainly in the NXT years, I would say she had the best character. And she had the one that resonated with the people. Her arc, her storyline, her character in NXT was wonderful. And it built up and she kept falling short and she kept falling short. And when she got there, I love that story. I love that baby face that doesn't quite get their story. And then they finally do. They've done it on the main roster many times with the men. I think Jeff Hardy, you know, strikes me as being a similar sort of story where he couldn't quite get there. And then eventually he did. I, I love that story. I think it's just one you could go to time and time again. I feel for her some, in some ways that perhaps the best Bailey stories were done away from the bigger crowds. And I was certainly someone that said, oh, they can't turn their heel. And actually, they've turned their heel, and she's done a wonderful job. I think she's a fabulous performer. I really, really do. Yeah, I really rate her. I'm not as enamoured at the moment with what she's doing. I'm not saying I don't, uh, that it's horrible. I'm not as enamoured as I was with her as a face. What I take is the two sides of what you've said there. It's not just the overarching baby face that nearly makes it and nearly makes it and you can buy into it over a long period of time there's that side of her character but there's also the initial character that each night makes a connection with a crowd doesn't matter whether you have a good or bad match she could always make a connection with the crowd and that's what wrestling's about if you don't care why bother she made you care for her on that night would she win and where does she go from here that's a really good point. Let me let's pick your brains about this again, because this is the kind of thing that you would understand so well by being in the position that you've been in, particularly when you're refereeing, but emceeing as well. You will have been at shows where, let's say there's 200 people there, right? Now, some of those people will be diehards that go to the shows in that particular region, territory, call it what you will, quite a bit. But there have been plenty of others who are WWE fans and are going to that particular show and that particular small venue because they've seen that it's going to have, I don't know, Billy Gunn on the show or Alberto Del Rio or someone that they recognise as being an import that's been brought in. There's a big talk about imports and British guys and stuff on shows. That's a topic for another day. But you, you won't deny, I'm sure, that sometimes you can add 25% to your gate by advertising someone that used to be on WWE. If not more. If not more. And so that person comes through. And it doesn't have to be a great, quote-unquote, worker. It just needs to be someone that's famous. You talked about the first show you saw had Yoko Zuna on it. Um, when you bring in those sorts of people, they've not been to a, a live small show before. 
And the first match, you know, comes on, and uh, I was going to pick two people off the top of my head, but I don't want to get the wrong people, but two people that that fan has never seen before come out for the opening match. Within the first 30 seconds, they need to get over that one of them is a baby face and one of them is a heel. And there are techniques for doing it, aren't there, in terms of having upbeat music and slapping hands or slow music and having a cocky walk to the ring. Or just as you lock up, the heel jumps out, walks around the outside, tells someone in the second row, shut up. There are tropes and there are ways of doing it, aren't there? And we forget that once people get to the big stage that we automatically know their character. But she strikes me as someone that I'm talking original babyface Bailey. It wouldn't take you two minutes to work out if you had never, ever, ever seen her before. And she worked a match at, let's say what you said, Southampton Guildhall, 150 people. You would know immediately she's the babyface, wouldn't you? That original Bailey character. Yeah, exactly. She's the sort of one you wouldn't need to look at the crowd to see how they're reacting to see if you've put the right person in the opening match or they're getting the right reaction. You would just know she would connect with the crowd. And if it's it's a weird one that if people didn't instantly get it, you get the feeling she'd go, right, I need to do this so that they do. She mm. knows how to evolve herself in a very short space of time to get that reaction from the crowd and to get people to want to come back and see her on the next show. Is that being a fan, do you think? Is that the fact she's a huge fan, wasn't she? Do you think that's part of that she was one of she was that person in the crowd once and yeah. she understands what that person in the crowd wants yeah i think that's a huge part of it I, granted if you'd say you wouldn't become a wrestler if you weren't a wrestling fan except for one big name but i'll go into that another day well, no, there's, 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 there are plenty of examples of people you know kurt angle never watched I mean, he was a wrestler an amateur wrestler but he didn't care about professional wrestling neither did goldberg there's plenty of people that have made a good career out of not being a fan and then stepping up to, to doing it. It's, it's the exception rather than the rule, but I, yeah. but I take your point. Yeah, I mean, I, I was at q and I will say then, I was at Q&A one night and the answer, first question was answered with, I was never really a wrestling fan, I do it as a job. And that wrestler was Sting. And it made it yeah, very... Yeah, I, I wouldn't... doesn't stop me whatsoever. Um, you're right, though. It is the exception to the rule. Generally, you would be a fan, but I just think she's got that connection more than most. Yeah, and like I say, I think, I think in some ways she's limited. And again, I'm not knocking her for that because lots of people, and in some ways John Cena is limited and Hulk Hogan is limited. A lot of people are limited. But she's managed to work the best that she can. And she's managed to... I think her character is generally bomb-proof. I think you, could, you, don't, you can't see through it. And I talked in a recent, either on the quiz on Sunday, on the podcast last week, I forget which, about my disdain for people that... Not disdain, that's a bit harsh. But my dislike of flipping backwards and forwards too much between babyface and heel because the character needs to have some sort of through line. I think I used the example of Randy Savage. It was that Randy Savage's character didn't change very much. He just sort of subtly weaved one way or another, depending on who he was with or who he was against. Whereas Seth Rollins, for example, who I'm a huge fan of, I think has been stuck with being a nice guy, then a nasty guy, then a nice guy, then a nasty guy. And it's you don't really believe Seth Rollins anymore. And it's not his fault. It's not Colby Lopez's fault. It's you know the four people that are booking Seth Rollins that make him hard to believe in. I actually think she's done a good job, Bailey, of being one character that's sweet and lovely and hug me, and now a sort of a sort of like very flippant, you know, nasty piece of work. But somehow you believe it. I feel like the story that's got her there is believable. I think it'd be hard for her to go back again. But I think that where she is at the moment, I kind of believe it. And I think that's the problem with Seth is you just think, 
oh, well, when's he going to change his mind to be a good guy? Yeah. Whereas I agree. It, it has been so well established um, that, that now when she changes, when she turns, that makes it, it makes sense and it will last for as long as it does. Like you say, it's a tough job to get her back. People would believe her as a face, but there'll always be that bit of doubt, will she turn back again? And I think if they then turned her again, y- you've lost it. You've completely yeah. lost it. You're going to struggle. Okay. Uh, my next point in terms of the reaction. Um, I say this quite a lot. Uh, people will have heard me say this before. Some people would have been with me when it happened. But there are certain things that happen on Hooked on Wrestling uh, party nights. Um, hopefully we'll get back to it soon. Our raison d'etre, which is to do pay-per-view parties all around the country. The best way of enjoying the Rumble and WrestleMania and so on and so forth is with a Hooked on Wrestling party. I've hosted bundles. Chris has hosted bundles. They are great nights. There have been moments where things have happened. Seth Rollins is a good example, cashing in money in the bank. Um, AJ Styles appearing in the Royal Rumble is another one. But I'm not sure I've ever heard a bigger reaction than when the mystery tag team at WrestleMania was the Hardy Boys. When you start... When you started saying this, I hadn't even got that on my list, and I don't know why. It it just hadn't popped into my mind. Maybe because it wasn't originally a mystery. It was meant to be, was it a three-team tag? And then the New Day came out and went, oh, no, we've added another team to it. So it wasn't necessarily billed as having a mystery. But you are absolutely right on that crowd reaction. I've... I've also never known as many people who I know that were there talk about it for so long because of how big a deal it was and how special it made them feel to see it. Okay. Oh, well, I would admit myself in terms of I only added it just before we started talking, literally as we were going through the bits before we went live, I, I wrote this onto my list. It wasn't something that I'd um, written up in my um, extensive planning. Um so, okay, does it, does it lose out on the technicality then? No, because we, I, I'm talking about being a stickler for the rules with the whole thing with Cody. Um, I, does I, this miss out? I, I don't remember. I cannot get my head around the exact setup for that. I do feel like there was some sort of billing that there was going to be another team. Because I think I thought at the time, because hadn't, hadn't Hardy Boys worked for a Ring of Honor that weekend or something around... Um, and there was there was a bit of chat online about it. I remember there be I remember someone coming up to me that night before it actually happened and said, "Oh, have you heard the Hardy Boys are probably going to be on WrestleMania?" And I went, "Yeah, whatever, mate." And it obviously turned out to be true. But I also remember thinking that when New Day came out and were talking about it, that I thought they were going to say the new team in this match is us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I thought they were going to build themselves. So, what's it, what are we saying here? Are we saying that they were definitely? Uh, not was was it advertised as a mystery a mystery team or what was the situation? Because I'm, we've got to be uh, gonna, I'm a stickler for the rules. Yeah, my personal memory of it is that it was meant to be a triple threat tag match, and that the new day then went. It's no longer a triple threat. It was announced on the night. I'm not going to say out on a technicality, but it certainly feels like it marks it down a bit in my mind as a. There wasn't an established setup there for it. Ouch! Oh, this is going to be a this is going to be a tricky one. I feel like I uh, might have to do a bit of subtle googling on the side just to do a 
see what I find. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll, I'll set up the next topic, um, which is actually it's a real favourite of mine. This is this is I think every week there's one that I want to put on, which I think I would have a hard time saying that it would definitely deserve to be the number one and the winner. But it's kind of my personal favourite. Um, I, I haven't got the exact timeline of it, but it'll be somewhere around about 1997, I believe. Um, Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, was tag team champions with Shawn Michaels and Shawn's away. Actually, that's not right. It must be coming 97. It could be 97. He's tag team champion with Shawn Michaels. Shawn's away. Austin is going ahead on his own. He's refusing help. He's trying to be uh, his own man against Owen and Bulldog, I think it was. And then this person appears up on the screen and he says he's going to be Steve Austin's partner. And he struts down to the ring and it's dude love. What do you yeah. think about that? Yeah. I mean, that was an incredible moment and bringing the character in like that was an incredible way of doing it. Um, huge fan of that era. And in particular, how they then built around um, people like that. Oh, whether the fact it was a video on the screen changes it again with what it how it actually came across rather than just here's some music hitting or here's someone running to the ring so the fact it was a video on the screen maybe took a little of the shine off of the reaction um which marks it down a little bit in my book but it's okay. uh, it's in contention i just i think it's one of those that i, I think it is easier for these moments, I mean, obviously there are examples of, of heel ones and we've gone through them. Hogan is one, Yoko is another. But I think it's easier for these things to be done as a, as a babyface thing. You know, and I think it's the, the sheer magnitude of that moment that that, that crowd were teased. Dude, I'm, 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 that's the debut of Dude Love, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it that's is. the debut. And they were teased Dude Love and the whole thing of turning Mick Foley via these videos where he was talking to Jim Ross and gradually Mankind turned. But there were still these references to Dude Love. I seem to remember it was Mankind versus Triple H at SummerSlam and he pulled the shirt open and dropped the elbow and it was a whole Dude Love moment and the Dude Love music played and stuff. And it was like, there was all these sort of little moments about Dude Love. And I feel like that's a... You know, that's an important part of it. It's something the crowd wanted to see, you know, and, and the fact that Austin was this sort of curmudgeonly figure that didn't want any help. And, you know, this voice goes, Steve-O, baby, I'm on my way, or whatever it was he said. And even at the end where Austin, who was a curmudgeon and who would never want any help and would stun anyone in sight, Austin even got the belt and handed it to him as, as if to say, thank you. And that even Steve appreciated it. I just, I perhaps I just have this, you know, lovely moment in my. It, it creates a nice little warm, fuzzy feeling in my. Uh, uh, I, I think what you're in saying my, in my gut. A lot of these we're basing it on the reaction rather than the match and the overall feel. So I think what you're saying, and you're probably right, is this is one of those where the whole match and the outcome of the match becomes a part of the the story. Of the surprise. Yeah, that's also true. Um, I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm ever so slightly distracted because I'm trying to have a little whiz through the uh, the whole thing about the Hardys, and it looks like you are absolutely right uh, in the sense that the um, 
It was, it was, it's really, really difficult. Right, let's, let's do what I think is the final one to chat about. And then we'll come back to our, sh- still a long list, but we need to make it shorter. Survivor Series 1990. There is a mystery partner being announced by Ted DiBiase. He has gone out and he's found this amazing partner. And it's billed as The Undertaker. And out he comes for the first time with brother love. I believe. And he comes to the ring as takes part in this Survivor Series match. I think he eliminates a couple of people, then gets DQ'd nearly 30 years later. Hooked on wrestling at the very least would uh, um, dedicate a week to him, a weekend to him. It would be become the, one of the most amazing documentaries you've ever seen. The Undertaker, what an incredible figure. Um, and it all started on one night in the Survivor Series in 1990 where he was billed as the mystery opponent. Chris, kick us off. Yeah, I mean, absolutely phenomenal career and an excellent way of bringing him in. It was shock value. It was complete shock value. It was something, a character you wouldn't expect to align himself with a team with DBRC and Rhythm and Blues. So it that helped create the shock value with it. Um, my concern with it is the actual match watching it back and Taker comes in, dominates. Again, he was in there for a short amount of time, dominates at first and then comes back in and gets counted out. And that's a good way to protect him for the future. Oh, look, he's barely left his feet in the match, but he's not lost, but he's being counted out. I get that. It just felt like a bit of a cop-out way from a surprise debut to get to something. I know why they did, and we know where he's gone on to from it. It just, as a debut, it's then more about the career than him being the surprise partner. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, We've had a few moments on this podcast where I feel like there's an absolute, where everyone feels like there's an absolute penalty kick that something will get on. Um, We only just allowed Stone Cold Steve Austin winning King of the Ring to get into our top five for King of the Ring. Only just. And in the end, he didn't win the vote. And we didn't, when we were doing, funnily enough, Undertaker, when we did Undertaker's best matches outside of WrestleMania, we didn't include in the top five his match against Mick Foley and Hell in the Cell, which obviously everyone talks about. But we kind of felt, is it really a match? You know, it's just a, a couple of mad stunts, one of which that went wrong. So we held firm on that one. This is one of those sorts of discussions, I think. I do think it's a... Listen, it's good. I don't think it's anything you can argue that it's not a good debut. He comes out of nowhere, this imposing figure. You're certainly talking about him after afterwards. Within a year, you know, he'd be the world champion. Nothing went wrong on that night. Everything was set fair. He made an impact that he should do. I guess it really is that, you know, for example, Taz has not gone on to have a 30-year career after WrestleMania, after Royal Rumble 2000, partly because it was only 20 years ago. But you know what I'm saying? We've not seen 20 years of Taz dominating the wrestling landscape. But that doesn't mean that that Taz versus Kurt Angle thing didn't go just as well as the Undertaker debut at Survivor Series 1990. I'd be tempted to argue the Taz one went better. Yeah. Um, I'm not massively sold on this Taker thing. It's really a case of can we find five better? 
and one thing I'll say there is we mentioned the Taz mission with Taz at the end of the match, and you got a good camera angle. It's a silly one. It was a good camera angle. You could see what he was doing. Taker hits the tombstone for the first time, facing away from the camera and dropping the guy into the ropes. And they go, that's the tombstone. And it, it's, yeah, okay, it, we know what it is now. It's a great move. But in that match, it was just very odd and clunky. And that took, watching it the other day, that took away from it for me. So we've got, we're going to have some controversy here. Whichever way we go with this, we're going to have a little bit of controversy. Do you know what we've done? I don't want to try to make it, make it easy for the voters here. But essentially what tends to happen on these um, How To Be Great podcasts is that we have come up with three, maybe four, sometimes five or six things which we think are definites and then we have to whittle it down. I can argue, well, I've only got, I think we've only got one that's a definite on this list here. Yeah. And that's the Hogan Bash at the Beach thing. That might be a point of the fact that he might well win. Um, I've, we've got, I would say, seven others that we need to pick four from. Yeah. Okay. So I would say, whittling through them quickly. Actually, no, I've not. I've got eight. I beg your pardon. I've got eight. 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 And we've got to get four from these eight. So let's try and whittle through these as much as we can. So I'm going to say them quickly. We've got Taker at Survivor Series 90, Dude Love and Stone Cold, The Hardy Boys, Warrior at WrestleMania 8, eight uh, sorry, Re- SummerSlam 88, Yokozuna debuting at WrestleMania, Taz with Angle, John Cena's debut, and Bailey at Battleground. All right, that's the eight that I've got. We need to pick four of. So can I just give, say... Give me, that, give me a... Go on. You've ruled out Daniel Bryan in that as well. I think so. I don't think, I don't yep. think any... I, I can't I, see a reason he's above the ones I've just mentioned. Yep, I'd rule that out. Go on, what do you want from me then? Give me a draft pick. Give me a Chris Hatch pick out of those eight. If I mm-hmm. massively disagree, I'll fight you on it. But generally speaking, yep. I think we could, we could feasibly here pick one each and yep. get ourselves up to three. Yeah, I mean, and then, this, and then have a fight on the other two. This is where I'm trying to be objective because my personal one, I would throw Taz in there, but I'm not going to for my my main pick. I'm going to go with Yoko. Okay, I'm going to make it easy for you then because I'm going to put Taz in. Okay, cool. That I think sense. it's. I think both of those. I love both of those because because of the very nature of the point by point. You know, this is we are going to do a mystery opponent at this upcoming pay per view. It's a build-up. You anticipate it. When it happens, it's not a letdown. The mystery opponent wins. It leads to something. I would say Yoko probably ever so slightly ahead of Taz because of the fact that the Yoko-Owen partnership continued apace and became something, whereas Taz quite quickly you know, fell away. But on the night, I would find it difficult to, to disagree um, with that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to type down... Taz goes in, and Yoko goes in. Right, so that gets those two there. Uh, right, now we've got some really difficult decisions. I know which two I would go with next, but um, let's, I, let, let's talk. Let, go on, go ahead. I would, I would say, just to rule one out, I love the reaction, but if we're questioning Hardy's being a technicality, that goes. I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I, and I really, really, really want to put it in because of how I remember that reaction. But you're right. Was it really um, it was a, a mystery? It was a mystery at the point that they added another team to it. 
But you've if you just use the word, you've just used the word. If we were doing surprise, it they'd would, go in. Yeah. But it's but, not, is it? It's mystery. Yeah. It's so, mystery, not surprise. And if you base it on crowd reaction, then I would say Warrior was on the same level as them. Warrior's got to be discussed. <laughs> Harsh though it may well, I think I think the easiest one to get rid of of the ones that we had. Um, fun though it was, historic though it was, I think Cena goes, right? Cena's debut, important moment, not going to make the five, is it? Great match, but not no shock value as a mystery as well. Doesn't go. Gone, Cena. I, I was like... Uh, I liked it as well. What well, This is the whole point with this, is that you find yourself having to, to, to get rid of things that you would love. Bailey at Battleground. Loved it. Great moment. Huge moment. I don't remember the match. What did it actually lead to? I feel that we have to deny it. Mm, depending what it leaves, that's the, I'm still questioning with what it leaves. Okay, well, well, we have decided that the three that are on the list for good are Hogan, Taz, and Yoko. Yeah. If we remove Bailey, we then have to pick two of Taker at Survivor Series, Do Love, and Warrior. Okay. I am saying that in the history of wrestling, when it absolutely comes down to it, I can't put Bailey above those three. I and could, I love the moment. Yeah. I could argue it, but I'm not going to because I'll give you that there is enough of an argument to be made with the others. Okay, okay. Let's let's put a little line. I won't delete I it from my screen. Where I'd written five and then put some notes at the side as who could topple them. That wasn't in the could go in there. That was in my main ones. But I'll give you that. Okay. Um, so we've got, let's for, for the time being then work with these remaining three. We've got Undertaker at Survivor Series 90. We've got Dude Love. And we've got Warrior um, against Honky Top Man. What's your, what, what's your gut saying to you? Of those three... I would say Warriors got to go in. Absolutely nailed on. Yeah, I, oh, I, I, I agree. I think because I am so torn on this. It's very. I think on, I think on a pers- on a personal level, I agree with you, and I think on a personal level, I want Dude Love to go in as well. But I just can see the emails and the tweets and the reactions if we do five biggest mystery opponents and partners, and we don't include The Undertaker's debut. Yeah. I mean, that's I, just, I, I, I wouldn't have it in my five, but I have to try and realise that it's not my five. It's the five that's the right to choose. See, I'm in a massive conflict. My personally, I would have Warrior in, and then I'm 50-50 between Dude Love and Taker. And Dude Love is my era of when I started watching and what I enjoyed. But that's probably the one that goes for me. Let's go, let's go to that, the Hardy Boys argument then. Was the Dude Love thing a mystery opponent? Was that billed as Stone Cold plus one? I think we could, we could remove it on a technicality. We could remove it on the fact of... Stone Cold was going to be resting on his own and then Dude Love appeared. It wasn't necessarily built up next week on Raw, Stone Cold 
plus a mystery opponent, or was it? Am I getting that wrong? I think you're right. It was more builders. Stone Cold will not have a partner. He will be in a two-on-one match. I'm going to, again, do a little bit of uh, review. Uh, I mean, th- this is much... Research closer, on the fly. Yeah, this is much closer to fitting in than a lot of the other ones. It's This is why it's so tough. Would you Would you say Warrior could go and those two stay in, though? I'd be open to an argument for it, but I am just the crowd reaction. And yes, it was a very short match, but I'm pretty confident I'll have Warrior in there. Yeah, I think I would. I think I agree with you because I think Warrior just fits that. Listen, I've never ever in my life professed to be a big Ultimate Warrior fan. And I'm aware, by the way, folks that are watching this on the YouTube, I'm getting very dark here. I should put the light on, but we're going to try and wrap up soon. So that's just the way it is. It's a bit like a WrestleMania that starts in the daytime and ends in the nighttime. Um, I've never been a big Ultimate Warrior fan. Um, I've heard lots of fa- stories about him negatively as, a, as an individual. Um, I'm not into this can't speak ill of the dead thing. You speak as you find. Um, never met him, but I've never heard good reports about him. It wasn't my kind of wrestler either. However, I absolutely have to admit that he was a huge, huge star. Um got huge reactions, became a megastar. And this feels like where it started to me. It feels like this is the, the you know, the time where, um, you know, we were taking off with Warrior and it all built up to WrestleMania 6. And it just again, it just feels like it went somewhere. This could be the argument, actually, the opposite of the Taz thing. You know, maybe we have to bring Taz back into the equation again and say, well, Warrior winning the title was a surprise it, it was effective. It won a title. It pushed him on. Whereas actually all Taz did was appear on a show where people knew it was going to be Taz anyway and never went anywhere on from that. But may, maybe we take Taz out of the equation. And we, do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, I get you. I still, I don't think that topples do love for me. I just don't think, I, I don't think Dude Love gets in there ahead of Taz. I don't think Dude Love gets in there ahead of Warrior. It becomes a, Head-to-head between Taker and Dude Love. I know. I think it's got to be... Take out other people's opinions on if we didn't have Taker in the list. It was the debut of a 2B legend. Yeah, the match wasn't the best, but the character, the, the, the mystery around who it could be, how different he was to the team, that goes in. Yeah, I think it has to. I think you're right. I think it has to. I think that's what people would vote. I think if we said to people, if we did a poll on who's the fifth one to be in the poll, I think Undertaker would win. And again, it's more of a build-up, isn't it, of a mystery thing over a certain week and then a payoff. You just this is the whole point. No, I love the, cause I love the do-love moment. I think it's just such a great moment and it's so brilliantly executed, but I think because we didn't allow the Hardys in, I think this is a fair thing in terms of not allowing this one in. There's more plausible deniability. Did you watch the um, Did you watch the Arsenal Leicester game last night? I've only seen bits of it. Plausible deniability for the referee in terms of sending Eddie and Ketia off. I could see why that he wouldn't send him off, but I could see why he would send him off. But it's easier for the ref to send him off and then someone say, "Oh, it was harsh," than it is for him to not send him off and someone go, "We could have broken his leg." easier for the ref to send him off whether it's a right decision or wrong easier to send him off and i think it's easier for us to put in undertaker into the five 
Because if someone says, what about Dude Love? What about the Hardys? We can say, technically speaking, not a mystery partner, not a mystery opponent, not a mystery team. Yeah. I feel for Dude. I feel for Hardys. I feel for Bailey. But I think but the five we've got. I think we've got our five, right? I think we've got it. So in no particular order, it's literally the order in which I've typed it onto my screen. We have our five. It is Hulk Hogan as the third man at Bash at the Beach. It is Taz versus Kurt Angle uh, at the Royal Rumble 2000. It is Yokozuna as a tag team partner of Owen Hart at WrestleMania, help me out, 11. It is the Ultimate Warrior as the Intercontinental Champion at SummerSlam in 1988. And it is The Undertaker's debut at the 1990 Survivor Series. Yeah, I can't argue with any of that. That feels like it was epic getting to where we've got there. It was so many twists and turns, things I didn't think were going to go in, things that we came up with. But I think we'll go with that as our five. Do you know what I really hope, Chris? I really, I'm going to ring Paul Benson as soon as I finish this podcast and say, whatever you're doing tonight, I'm going to interrupt you. These are the five that we've come up with. And I want him to go, no, how have you left off this? And because I will say, well, then you should be on the podcast. Never mind the fact that he has got, you know, three jobs and a family and a new cat and all those other things that he's actually got, like real things he's got to look after. I'm still going to give him shit for not doing the podcast because that's the kind of guy I am. Yeah, um, but You don't need to pass it up. No, no, indeed. But uh, first of all, I want to say a massive, massive thank you uh, to Chris for um, for being part of this tonight. I think you've been a more than uh, able deputy, mystery partner of mine, mystery opponent, if you will. Yeah, uh, I mean, on tonight's podcast, as, I may not go down in the record books as a mystery partner, but it's been more really enjoyable. I've had a great evening; absolutely loved it. I hope not as good as evening as on Sunday when you got to do the quiz and watch Southampton win. But apart from that. Um, yeah. It's been it's been a good night for you. Maybe one day you'll make the top five of top five mystery partners on the Hooked On podcast. We don't know. You are the first. If you don't, do, if you don't have more than five extra mystery guests, I might make the list. Then you've got a chance, haven't you? You've got a chance, right? You should be seeing for those of you that are watching this on the bottom of the screen now is where you can go and vote. You can go to hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote. That is where you can go and cast your vote. Uh, the plan should be that by the time this goes live and you are listening slash watching this, that it is now live on the website. If it isn't, if you've gone there and you're a bit uh, premature, it will be up there very, very soon, I promise. But it should be there by the time you go. So your decision is to choose between these five. Hulk Hogan is the third man at Bass at the Beach 1996. Taz versus Kurt Angle at Royal Rumble 2000. Yoko Zuna and uh, becoming Owen Hart's tag team partner against the Smoking Guns at WrestleMania 11. The Ultimate Warrior at SummerSlam 1988 beating the Honky Top Man and Undertaker's debut at the Survivor Series 1990. That is your choice. Off you go to the website uh, to make your decision. We will be back this time, around about this time, next week with a brand new podcast a brand new topic keep your eyes on our social media uh you can look for i'm not so good as paul is at uh, giving you the plugs but basically on we're on twitter we're on facebook we're on instagram we're on youtube uh look for hooked on wrestling you'll find us soon enough i know we're ho underscore wrestling uh, on twitter and i think we're just simply slash hooked on wrestling 
uh, on Facebook and Instagram and indeed, I think, YouTube. Uh, but give us a search. You'll find us anyway. You're probably already following us. But keep an eye on those social channels because that's where you'll see for the first time uh, our announcement of what next week's podcast topic will be. Don't forget there's other podcasts in the Hooked On Wrestling Podcast Network. Um, check those out. Go to hookedonwrestling.co.uk and check out the podcast link where you'll find uh, a whole host of things. We have various different things. We've got um, the show with uh, Richard Young and uh, Stevie Knight, The Night is Young, as I call it, um, which talks about a lot of uh, older British wrestling things. Uh, you've got Three Beers Deep, which is um, uh, looking at older pay-per-views through the prism of having a few drinks. Uh, you've got Because WCW. There's all sorts of things on, on there. Um, I've, I've, I've missed a couple off, which I apologise for, but there's there are historical things, there's modern things, there's British things, there's American things. There's a good mix of stuff for you. Um, and as I've also mentioned, the quiz on Sunday, 8pm, Hooked on Wrestling Quiz on Facebook Live and on YouTube Live. You, It's much better if you join us live, but if not, you can catch up after the event. And mainly, hookedonwrestling.co.uk. There's a plethora, I can't say that word very well after four beers, but a plethora of things that are on the website every single day. There's plenty of news. It's the kind of news that you can just catch up with first thing in the morning. That's what I do first thing in the morning now, hookedonwrestling.co.uk. It just catches me up with the day's news, and there's a little bit of a ticker during the day. But we also have a whole bunch of features as well, um, uh, casting our eye over old things, new things, all sorts of things. Indeed, I'll, I'll hand over to Chris on this one because you've become involved with um, you know, the, the editing of the site. You're much more involved than me on the actual website itself. It's, it's, it's grown in a very quick space of time, mate, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible that you, you can see some of these articles that go up and the amount of views they're getting, the which is just great to know that people see us as a reliable source because we're not just reporting, oh, there's some kind of rumour. There's We're trying to come up with things that have got some substance to them and that is going to be generally interesting. Yes, there's going to be a lot of WWE, especially in current climate, but we're trying to keep abreast on everything. And the, there's the weekly quiz goes on the website as well as us doing our Sunday night yeah, quiz. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, and like you mentioned earlier, the Hooked on Wrestling merchandise, I believe, is meant to go live on, <laughs> on Friday. That'll be good. Hopefully it's going to arrive this week. I want to wear my new gear on the, on the Sunday quiz. Hopefully it arrives this week, but uh, we'll see. Um, yeah, and as um, as Chris said, it is main. There's quite a lot of WWE, but there's also there's plenty of stuff about Fighter Fest uh, for Wednesday night, um, which will probably be, you've probably gone by the time you've what you're watching or listening to this. But uh, we've been covering that um, uh, Slammiversary as well coming up soon. So there's um, there's plenty of stuff covered, and we've we've got you covered on hookedonwrestling.co.uk. Uh, that is pretty much all from us for this evening, unless uh, Chris wants to uh, add anything else. And you got anything to uh, anything to plug? Do you want to plug your social media or anything like that? Um, I could plug my social media. Unlike Hooked On, I do have them all lined up as at HatchRefMC, uh, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, um, mainly because my wife works in IT and made sure that happened. Um, <laughs> the main thing is, yeah, it's just been, it's a pleasure to be a part of Hooked On. Please do check out the website and when the parties get back up, it's just such a way to get involved in wrestling. I, yes, I go along to work in quote marks at the parties, but it's to have a great time as well. Cause it really is always a great time. You do make mention that. I just realized we're about an hour and three quarters into this podcast and I've not said anything horrible or nasty or derogatory about uh, about your wife that's that's, that's be the longest time i've ever gone through and i will i will close by saying that she is um she is very very lovely 
and a huge asset to not only Hooked On, but the entire wrestling world. Nightmare. She's a nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Um, anyway. She's she, at the moment. I was there? just going to say she can't be there because this is the moment where she comes yelling, yelling at me and shouting at me and raging, but uh, she's not around. So <laughs> I should have I saved my uh, my praise, shouldn't I, for a time where she's there uh, within yeah. arm's distance and won't smack me with something. No, she's, dare I say it, she's lovely, really. Uh, okay, thanks everyone for uh, for tuning in. This has been this week's How To Be Great podcast. Don't forget www.hookedonwrestling.co.uk forward slash vote to cast your vote. Keep an eye on the socials and join us for the, the quiz on Sunday. Uh, if you would um, be, it's been an absolute joy to be with you again. Thank you to our guest uh, host this week, Chris Hatch. And for me, Rob McNichol, it's just a reminder that just to say, as it says on my shirt, it's wrestling. Enjoy it. See you very soon.